Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl, and I talk about bootstrapping, entrepreneurship, and building in public. First, a word from my sponsor. Microacquire is the number one startup acquisition marketplace, and it's simply the most efficient way to sell a startup when you're ready to make your next move. Typically, as a first-time founder, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into when you go through an acquisition alone. You read up on all these things, and you try to figure it out, but... It's hard because they're doing it for the first time. Microacquire wants to change that and empower founders like you when you're speaking with buyers and then really help streamline this whole process of getting acquired for the maximum price that you want without any of the headaches that you don't want. <laughs> and to date, Microacquire has helped hundreds of startups get successfully acquired and they've facilitated hundreds and millions in closed deal volume. And part of that can probably be yours. So if you're thinking about selling a startup, you want to go check out Microacquire, go to microacquire.com to learn more. And now let's get started. There's a huge difference between building a product, a business, and a company. It's a progression from one to the other, and it usually involves making significant changes in your life as a founder. Requirements change, and so does our lifestyle to make those dreams possible. Ideally, we have this master plan on how we want to get there, but in reality, we have to pay the bills, we have to take care of our family and deal with the often unexpected hardships of life. And while everyone's situation is unique, many entrepreneurs have found ways to finance their business building journeys and make ends meet at the same time. So that's what we'll be talking about today. In my conversation with Jacob Greenfield this week, we touched upon this iterative nature of moving from novice to expert, from entrepreneur to established founder. And this tends to be the progression for most newly minted founders. They come up with ideas, many of them. They start side projects, several of them, and then they end up going full-time on the one that is promising enough. But running a side project while you're mired in a full-time job is just yet another thing for us to take care of for most of us at least. And sooner than later, we want to have this mental and financial capacity to focus on our own business just enough to do it justice. I find Rob Walling's stair-stepping approach to bootstrapping extremely useful here, to think of this journey in discrete and achievable steps that build on top of each other. Instead of quitting our jobs and go full-time on our ideas immediately, Rob suggests building a self-sustaining system of small experiments that then built this foundation for you to shoot for the big dreams. Rob suggests starting with a single channel effort, maybe create a WordPress plugin or a Shopify add-on and generating a small but reliable revenue stream. Do that a few more times, that's the next step, and you'll end up with a diversified range of products that help you own your time. Of course, some of these experiments, maybe most of them will fail, which is why you don't just rely on one of them. Ultimately, once you have control over your own calendar, you can then build your software-as-a-service business. That's the stair-stepping approach in a nutshell. But how do we find the time to build these little experiments? That's what we're going to talk about today. For most, it starts with moonlighting. In other words, we work a full-time job and spend an hour or so at night or early in the morning, if you can do that, just to get some work done on our side projects. This is the most common way that founders start out with. And it's also one of the most straining ways because the hardest part is often really just time management. But there's also a hidden cost beyond that to moonlighting, and that's context switching. After a full day of work, 
it's super hard to compartmentalize what we were working on and then focus on an entirely different project. I recall struggling with this a lot during the initial days of Feedback Panda. During the day, I was building an Internet of Things platform for somebody else, and after work, using the same tech stack too, I was working on a productivity tool for online teachers for myself. While technically distinct, the mental models of these two code bases, they just bled into each other in my mind. It got much easier when I quit that job eventually. But that's the thing. Quitting a job means dealing with a much more urgent problem. Without the paycheck, priorities change, and what used to be an interesting side project now needs to make us money immediately. That is why Moonlighting, with all its focus and time management issues that you may run into, is a valid way of getting your feet wet with entrepreneurship. Two thoughts here. Make sure that your employer allows for this kind of work to happen, that it's legal for you to do so. Too many employment contracts have this we own everything you do clause that while it's often not enforceable, can cause issues with the company once you build something valuable outside of your working hours. And even if your employer is okay with this, make sure you do not overlap your work and side projects. Don't build for pay software on the same computer that you built your side project on. Just don't. Separation of concerns begins with this and it's important to get it right. You don't want to end up losing your business over something as stupid as losing access to your work laptop. But as risky as all of this sounds, this is still the least anxiety-inducing version of paying the bills while you get a business going. As long as you put in the effort that your employer expects, you have a full-time income to make ends meet. But it's not really a choice between full-time or unemployment. Many employers understand the entrepreneurial drive of their employees, and they are willing to facilitate a part-time accommodation as well. This comes with reduced pay and reduced hours, obviously, but it also frees up time to work on your project and increases the pressure on your new business to eventually make some money, too. Part-time work becomes beneficial when it allows you to mentally separate employment and entrepreneurship. That's the whole idea. Instead of working fewer hours per day, try to get full days off. Otherwise, you're just stretching out your mind even further, just like with a full-time job, but for less money. The boundaries between your work work and your business work, they need to be drawn even more clearly here, mostly for your protection and for the protection of your employers. Separation of concerns, very important. And this separation becomes much easier once you don't have an employer. I recently asked my Twitter followers about their funding sources, how they pay for stuff. And while almost half chose moonlighting, 38% of founders out there are bolstering their income with freelancing or consulting. That's quite significant. And it's a version of stair-stepping. Before you build your own fully-fledged business, you start a small, one-person business to keep the lights on. And I've been there before too. My first attempts at building bootstrap businesses, and no matter how horribly I failed with them, happened while I was consulting on the side. Three days a week. I would help out a software business, build better products. And for the remaining two days, I would focus on my own business. And it was a fun way of learning the ropes of running a business because I dealt with clients and their less than stellar ways of running their own businesses so I could see how it works. Many invoices were filed, most were paid, and I learned how to protect myself from the whims of bigger companies. I heavily recommend doing this at least once in your life, freelancing or 
consulting, choosing clients and firing them when necessary. That has a steep learning curve, don't get me wrong, but it creates a foundation of confidence and expertise that no future angry customer could ever destroy with a message. If you can land, serve, and bill a client, you can do anything. And in my experience, as long as you can get into this groove, like the three-day, two-day split I just mentioned, you can freelance and consult while building your own business. But I've also heard from founders who freelance in bursts. They get a massive client project, they work on it for a month or so, and they charge handsomely, and then use the cash to pay for a few months without having to do any extra freelancing. Depending on the needs of your slowly growing side project, this might be a great approach for those who have trouble context switching over time. Hopping from client to client, that's just going to be how it will be for you to start your freelancer journey. But another model here exists too, and that allows you to sell your time and expertise while building wealth over time at the same time. And that's starting an agency. The moment you're not just Jane Doe, the designer, but Jane Doe of the Incredible Designs Agency, you're already more professional in the eyes of your customers. You can also start outsourcing specific tasks to others while building up a repository of knowledge and process. And that is already a valuable asset. Many people had successful exits, maybe small, but still successful from their agency businesses because they decoupled the results from their own involvement. The book Built to Sell, that's the story of such a transformation. And I cannot recommend this book enough. No matter if you end up building an agency or a SaaS business, it's important to understand how that works. And an agency can eventually grow beyond yourself. What starts out as getting contractors to help can quickly turn into hiring other professionals to then start synergizing between fields of expertise. And of course, you can still stay solo too as a freelancer until your real business has enough momentum to turn into this full-time gig, which is when you can then phase out your clients and focus on your own stuff. So agency, freelance, just be your own boss. That's important. And there's another angle here too. And this one is much more compatible with the ultimate goal of building something akin to a software as a service business. It's a transition really between a bespoke service being rendered and a low touch, highly automated software solution. And it's called a productized service. Instead of building a custom solution for every client, you offer a configurable, yet mostly standardized package deal for a particular and non-negotiable price. The standardized part makes it very scalable, which in business terms means that you'll be able to serve many more clients than just one, as you would as a regular freelancer. And the configurable part makes this a desirable experience for your customers. It's a nice way to package your learnings and industry insights from freelancing into a lower intensity, but higher reward offering eventually. And this is particularly compatible with an agency model as well, where you offload some or even all of the work onto employees or other contractors. It's turtles all the way down with this. Freelancers working for other freelancers to build a business. But hey, ultimately, you want to arrive at a business effort that is entirely customer funded. You know, that thing when they pay you money every month to use the thing you offer, a business some businesses can generate revenue from day one, so they're customer funded from day one, but others take a while to set up, so you have to go through all these other steps. But they're all ending up here or in the startup graveyard. But there are ways to front load a lot of revenue through customer commitments, such as lifetime deals. But I would caution you against doing this without doing the math in your business. If you build a service that costs you money to operate, but your customers can use it without paying after a while, you'll be in trouble. 
pre-selling subscription businesses also is an option. It's not unheard of, but usually coincides with already having built a very trustworthy brand and an audience. If the founder of a tool that I already use and love built something new that I might need, I might pre-buy it. But if they are new to the game, I likely wouldn't trust them with my credit card until I've seen what they actually have to offer. So, you know, customer funding takes a while to take off. Let's talk about the harder to reach or straight up privilege-based alternatives to funding. Depending on where you live and what you've already accomplished and who you have access to, really, these might work for you or might not. And let's go from the most inclusive to the least inclusive ones. The first one is government entrepreneurial programs and accelerators. Many countries and even some cities have startup funding options for local residents, often with some kind of local impact requirement. And this might be a good idea for you if you can build your idea with this constraint. I participated in an EU-funded accelerator once, and it was interesting. While we had to use their weird software platform, it was a great opportunity to experiment with business concepts while ensuring that somebody paid the bills. And that was the European Union. It was kind of cool. But you can also use funds from savings and be super careful with this. Founders putting their life savings into the business, it's a huge gamble and it often creates anxiety levels that block people from making meaningful levels of progress. I'd instead advise you only to build small experiments that don't cost much or anything at all than investing your savings into your business. But if you have enough to give funding yourself a go, it might be a viable option. There's also funds from other companies you're running. Often founders use their freelancing or agency to fund their lives and the business that they're running until that business is up and running all by itself. But some founders keep funding their businesses from their other business for much longer just to make sure that they can spend the time and dedicated effort on building up this new project without falling for the pressures of having to make a profit immediately. And obviously, this requires that you have another business. I said, there are some privileged options in here too. But once you do, it can be a great way to fund your efforts with relatively low risk to your overall bottom line. And then there's funds from a previous exit. That's the luxury version of using your other business to pay for the new project by selling your old business and applying those funds immediately to the new thing. This is kind of the gold-plated final step of the stair-stepping ladder. Selling a business to jumpstart an even more ambitious business is like one of the most potent entrepreneurial power moves that you could ever make. And a lot of things need to have gone right for this to happen. But hey, it's something to aspire to. And many founders turn into serial founders through exactly that. And then there's outside funding. And finally, we have the bootstrapper's worst enemy, other people's money. The biggest drawback here of outside cash is that it always has strings attached. And those strings, they could be very much aligned with your own ambitions, like if you're looking into bootstrapper compatible funding options like Tiny Seed or the Calm Company Fund, or they could go against every slow but surely growth expectation you might have. That's what most venture funds do. Most venture money comes with massive growth goals that you have to fulfill. There's then the informal friends and family round, but this can get quite messy when things go south. So it's usually better to have clear expectations about the potential negative outcomes of your efforts and then have solid contracts in place done by experienced investors that will help to make these expectations normal for you. I've noticed one thing in all of this. The transitions between different kinds of funding are the hardest parts. And that's when most businesses actually fail 
or are being sold because the founder can't just handle it anymore. Moonlighting, as an example, that may have gone perfectly fine, but under the pressure of having to find freelancing clients, you go into freelancing and all of a sudden you have to find people, many founders focus their attention away from their lofty business aspirations or they just stay in freelancing because it's just so reliable compared to a business that's only just getting started. Transitions are hard. But understand that every founder goes through this journey and those who stick around are the ones who don't overextend from one phase into the other. I know that all of this is a bit frightening, to be honest, but that's just the nature of entrepreneurship. Nothing is guaranteed. But there is a progression here and you can do it intentionally. So when you're planning your journey, don't force any big changes. Consider stair-stepping into being a founder. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D. If you find my book, Zero to Sold, and The Embedded Entrepreneur, my Twitter course, find you following there as well. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please follow my YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast in your podcast player of choice, and I know there are many, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. Any of this will help the show and is very much appreciated. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.